following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, uh, church. This is actually a big day. Uh, I, I looked at it, and we have set up this room and worshiped here. We've preached the gospel here 143 times <laughs> as of today. So I counted today. So 143 times. And um, this is the last time we'll, do, we'll get the privilege as a church to worship here at, at Stone Oak Elementary. And um, oh, it's been a great 143 Sundays. It has. Uh, but I, I can't wait for the future. And um, I'm so grateful for this school. Um, I don't want to take this lightly. Uh, the fact that we've been able to meet in a school like this is something we need to be grateful for. We need to thank the Lord for it because that's not the case in a lot of other situations. So we're grateful for Stone Oak Elementary for their leadership, and uh, we look forward to next week when we get to start a new chapter. It, we're going to a middle school, so it's kind of like we're graduating. So well, <laughs> well done. Early graduation. Uh, church, well, I, again, good morning. Um, we get an absolutely daunting task this morning of, of we, we sang about joy. Well, we get the daunting task to, to talk about joy and to look at joy here. Um, we see joy or a version of the word joy 147 times throughout your Bible. Um, just take that in. There's only 66 books. So what we're dealing with here is not just a side theme. The Bible has a lot to say about joy, yet there are, there are few concepts uh, that cause us more confusion than joy. And let me just be real clear here. There are few concepts in Scripture that cause me more confusion than joy. As I prepared for this time together I just realized that this is one of the few, this is one of those concepts in scripture that, that is difficult to wrap our minds around living in a fallen world. And uh, I mean, think about it. Is it happiness? Is it an emotion? Is it something deeper than that? If it is, what and why do we feel that way? Um, is joy something that we need to be feeling all the time? I mean, what about grief? What about times of sorrow? Where is joy in that? Is Christian joy naive? Is Christian joy intellectually dishonest? You just have to look past things and say, I'm happy, I'm happy. Is that Christian joy? Is, is that what it is? Let me give you an example. We'll kick off our time here in Philippians. Uh, in Philippians 4, 4, Paul gives us this very simple yet off-the-charts difficult command. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He's commanding us here to have joy in the Lord. This word rejoice is basically the verb. So it's like joying in the Lord always, right? It's the verb. So he's saying, take joy, have joy in the Lord. Um, rejoice in the Lord. And how often, when? Well, always unceasing. And I love this because Paul says, again, let me just say it again. It, it's like I, I have little boys and we'll do this all the time. We'll be like, clean your room. Again, 
Look in my eyes. Clean your room, right? It's, it's Paul is drawing us in. I, I, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Look at my eyes. Rejoice in the Lord always. But hearing that, hearing that command in Philippians, that Paul lays this out, we have to ask the question, how? Uh, how do we do that? Maybe a more broad and actually a more important question is this. What is Christian joy? What is Christian joy? We're confronted with joy a lot this season. Um, next week we celebrate, it's Christmas, we celebrate this season of joy and um, there's just joy in the air, and for many of us, that's what we love this time of year. It's just, it's joyful. But all of us know, we all know, that, that Christmas will come and Christmas will go. And we'll experience the excitement of this season, and it's leading up to it, and it's awesome. And then something terrible happens to all of us, and that's December 26th. It happens every year. And, and the rejoicing of the season, the joy then can kind of shift into responsibilities, life, anxiety, struggle. And, it, and we get this glimpse of joy, but then we're right back in, whoop, right back in. And then in that we read, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and again, look at my eyes, rejoice, rejoice and, and notice, Paul doesn't say rejoice in the Lord on Christmas. And again, I say, no, he says rejoice in the Lord always. And so we're driven to think how. And, and it's important that we start with a definition. What is Christian joy? So that we're on the same page. And if you were to right now pull out your phone, don't do it. But if you were, and to Google definition of joy, it's humorous how many definitions you would pull up. They are all over the map, and they're not even different versions of the same definition. They are all over the map as far as what joy is. It's a bit entertaining. So for us, we're going to pull it all together, and we're going to start by defining this. What are we talking about with Christian joy? And let me be clear here. We're talking about Christian joy. We're talking about the joy that the scriptures talk about for us as children of God, redeemed by Christ and dwelled by the Spirit. We're talking about the joy that we have in Christ, what the scriptures reveal about that. So let's talk about Christian joy. Christian joy is not a mental, um, brainy, not a word, but you get it, willpower kind of thing. Uh, in other words, again, it's not like the call for a Christian is just to go through life just saying, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy. And when we don't feel happy, then the call of the Christian is not guilt, shame, guilt, shame. That's not it. There's a song, I will not sing it. It's going to be in your head, though, uh, by Bobby McFerrin called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Some of you, you know it. You're going to listen to it on the way home. That's good. Don't worry. Be happy in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. As great as that song might be, that is the most, that is the most incredibly frustrating song. Has that advice ever worked on anyone in the history of people? 
you're going through something difficult, something tough, don't worry. Be happy. This is not a song that worried people sing to get happy. This is a song that happy people sing to make everyone worried feel terrible. <laughs> That's what this is. Anyway, the truth is, is, is that this is not the picture of Christian joy. When Paul makes this command, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice, we can't take this as stop grieving. Stop worrying. Stop it. Be happy. That might be Bobby McFerrin's message here, but that message is missing something when we pull it in and, and ask about what does this mean about Christian gospel joy. There's a phrase that Paul puts in this command that we cannot overlook, and that's rejoice, what? In the Lord. It's not this decision that we make to kind of will ourselves to be happy through all circumstances. No, church, it's better than that. Christian joy has an object. We have to start here. The object of Christian joy is Jesus Christ. The object of Christian joy is Jesus Christ. Let me think about it like this. I will not have to convince a groom. I should not have to convince a groom to be happy when he sees his bride walking down the aisle. That should just flow out naturally. I should not have to convince a first-time mom to be happy when she holds her baby for the first time. Should not. That comes out naturally. It floods with joy in her heart. I should not have to convince a parent who'd got the joy of experiencing their, their son or their daughter come to faith in Jesus. I've never had to say, you should be happy about that. Because it is natural, it, is, it, it just floods our heart. Joy is something that we feel, it's an emotion, it's a deep good feeling in our soul that comes, stems from the object of our joy, and that is Jesus Christ. Paul's call here is to rejoice always, and it must never be understood apart from in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, because it's not a willpowering through difficult times. Be happy, be happy, be happy. That's not only not possible, but it is unhealthy. It's unhealthy. No, church, Christian joy says whatever we go through, in whatever circumstance, in whatever trial, in whatever grief, whatever victory, whatever triumph, in every single, every single circumstance, the object of our faith does not change. The object of our joy does not change, and therefore we can rejoice always, not because we try real hard to, but because we fix our eyes on the object who does not change and who is ever-present. The object of Christian joy is Jesus Christ, seeing him, knowing him, experiencing him, and joy then flows naturally from our heart. In the same way, I'll never have to convince a groom to be happy. Be happy when you see her. If I do, don't get married. You should never have to do that. You should never have to convince that. In the same way, I should never have to convince you to have joy in the Lord. 
You should never have to convince yourself to have joy in the Lord when you see and behold the Lord. This Christian gospel joy is a natural reaction to the object of our joy, Jesus Christ. He is our joy. He is the object of our joy. And let's be very painfully clear here. You're not going to be able to do that on your own or with your own ability. You cannot. You cannot do this on your own willpower in, in a very real sense. Paul just gave you a command in Philippians 4 that you cannot do on your own. And before you get upset about that, he does that all the time. So this isn't a new one. But you literally, you cannot do that. This is why St. Augustine, many, many, many years ago, he said, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. That's just beautiful. In other words, Lord, you command me to be joyful always in you. You command this of me. Now, Lord, then would you grant me the ability to walk in the Lord and to walk in that joy. Church, since you do not have the ability to conjure up this emotion of Christian joy in you. You need help. First, you need an object, but now you need help. And the good news is, as we look at Scripture, we see that joy, true Christian joy, is produced in us. It's produ Christian joy is produced in us through the Holy Spirit. Christian joy is produced in us through the Holy Spirit. If you, if you want to turn here, you can. If not, don't worry about it. But if you think about the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians, Galatians uh, 5.22, uh, Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Literally, it's the results, it's the things produced in us as a result of the Holy Spirit. The fruit, the fruit, these are literally the things that the Holy Spirit is producing in our lives. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 22, is love, joy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Notice the second one, joy, and that's really good news. Um, I have a weird example Forgive me. Um, how many of you do not like snakes? Had a bunch of snake handlers in our church, apparently. <laughs> like, no, I'm cool. I thought everyone, anyway. Um, many of you who did courageously raise your hands are not only like mildly annoyed by the presence of a snake, you're straight up terrified of snakes, right? This is kind of, um, and don't worry, we're not going to do anything weird with snakes this morning. I don't know your background, but I do need to clarify that. Um, I want you to imagine with me, though, if you were tomorrow morning, you're getting dressed for your day, um, and you're, you're getting your clothes, you're in your closet, and you turn, and in the doorway, your only doorway, there's this wonderful creature, a snake, just right there. Some of you are getting chilled. You don't want to think about that. Don't worry. Be happy, right? Um, now, put yourself in that moment. Do you have to tell yourself, I'm going to make the decision right now to be terrified? I'm going to, you know what? 
it's a good idea for me to decide that I am going to be absolutely terrified out of my mind. Just gonna, it's a good idea. Of course not. That feeling is produced in you. It just, it, it, it's produced in the same way. In the same way. We, as Christians who are in Christ, have been bought with a price, forgiven, redeemed, and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. The fruit is produced in us. Christian joy is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. And follow me, he doesn't just do this in some mystical, magical way. It's not like, um, I don't know, some foo-foo, spirit-sprinkled joy that he just goes, wow. Right? The Bible tells us how the Spirit does it. The Bible tells us, the Scriptures tell us exactly how the Holy Spirit produces that kind of joy in us. The way He does it is by opening our eyes to the object of the joy. He opens our eyes so that when we see Jesus and we experience Him and we know Him, joy. Joy, that's the Spirit's work. John, in, um, in John 16, 14, he records this moment where Jesus says, he, he's talking directly about the Holy Spirit here. He, the one who was about to come, he will glorify me, glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's what he is going to do. The Spirit is going to come. He's going to open our eyes, glorifying Christ, taking what is Christ, and making it known to you. Letting you see the object of pure joy. Thinking of our snake analogy, how can you see that snake and not experience true terror? I don't care if you like them or not. How do you see it? And, and how is fear and terror not just automatic in us in the same way? How can we see the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us? How can we see that? How can we know that? How can we experience Christ and not experience true Christian gospel joy. And it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who opens our eyes to that. He points us to that. There's this old hymn, and I want to read a couple verses of it with you. And I won't sing it to you because this one would be a fun one for me to try. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of love. Listen to this. This is one of my favorite lines. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away, giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. Let me read to you one more verse. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of joy, of the joy of living, ocean depth, of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live and love are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us, lift us to the joy divine. I love this because we see hearts unfolding before him. And why? It's because the sun above 
giver of joy, immortal gladness, joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. And now we are lifted to that joy, divine joy. True Christian joy is produced in us by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit points us, directs us to the goodness, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the object of our joy. This is why every time we get a chance, we need to talk about Jesus all the time. We need to be one-trick ponies. You don't need a better trick. There is none. With that understanding, with that definition of joy, I want us to turn to two places in our Bible. First, Luke 2. Uh, Luke 2. Uh, and what I want us to do is to turn our hearts to understand joy in the context of Advent. Um, in the context of Advent. And so to do that, I want us to first look at Luke 2, starting in verse 8. Listen to this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, will, they were filled with great fear. That's like the snake in the doorway kind of moment there, by the way, right? Fills them with great fear. And the angel said to them, verse 10, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel, a great multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So if you just follow what happened in this moment, you, you have the world waiting for a Messiah. You have a world in waiting who are going about their normal and everyday lives, just living their lives. They're shepherding. They're watching their sheep. They're making a living. And, and then the miraculous and the supernatural happens to them, and the angel appears to them and absolutely terrifies them. So you don't expect to find an angel of the Lord in your office, in your nine-to-five work, but here they did, and it terrified them. And then the angel says, fear not, I bring good news of great joy. If you think about it, the angel literally dropped the Bobby McFerrin song on them right there. <laughs> don't worry. Be happy. You never consider that a Christmas song, but, and it's not, by the way. Um, so how could the angels make that statement, though? How could they say, fear not, don't fear, don't fear, I bring you joy. Church, the angel could make that statement because the object of true joy had just arrived. The object of true, eternal joy had just arrived. He is here, joy is here. Joy itself, joy to the world, because joy just literally stepped into the world. That's how we can say this. Christmas celebrates the arrival of joy. And remember, Christian joy has an object, amen? So in John 1, we read that, that the joy puts on flesh. Joy puts on flesh, steps into humanity, and our joy is here. The world was literally waiting about 500 years. It was bleak. There was captivity, wondering how things are going to work out. And yet the silence is broken by the announcement, and not just the announcement, but the arrival. 
the arrival of joy, the eternal object of joy was here. Yet, as insane as what I'm about to say is, we will continue on in the Gospels to find that pure joy in the flesh was then crucified. Pure joy, crucified, just unthinkable, but follow me, what the enemy meant for evil. What the enemy meant for evil, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he overcame, conquered death, and declared an eternal joy now available to all who trust him. This was not only the announcement of joy, the arrival of joy, but the proclamation of eternal joy now that is available. And that's the work of Jesus Christ. And so now I want us to fast forward just a little bit to our lives today. I don't know how much you've ever thought about how similar you are to the shepherds. You're going about your normal lives. You're working your jobs. You're managing your stuff. You're, you're doing all of all of the things that come along with being a, a grown-up in America. And, and you're, you're tending your sheep. Probably not literally. Some of you maybe. You're tending your sheep. And like those shepherds, you're managing your normal life. And like those shepherds, the scriptures make a very similar announcement that those angels made to the shepherds. I mean, if you think about it, the angels came in and said, shepherds, don't worry, because joy is coming. Joy is here in the same way the scriptures announced to us. In the same way, Christians, don't fear. Don't fear. Instead, the scriptures announce joy, that he is coming again. He's coming again. And we are living and we are waiting in that space for the return of Christ. We're, we're waiting for the moment when all of this will be made right. We're living in what we've called the already and not yet. Already, he's already come, he's already, in, he's already conquered, he's already victorious, and the not yet. And, and here's what I mean by that. After joy comes, puts on flesh, conquers, dwells among us, we are now Christians living and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered. We stand on this. We look back on the work of Christ on the cross. Yet, you and I live and are still living in a fallen world, in a broken world with sickness, brokenness, in sin. In other words, the call of the gospel, please hear me, is not a come and experience an awesome life right now. You're going to get it all. It's going to be awesome. Sunshine, lollipops, it's all yours. That is not the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is not come and experience a struggle-free life. Come and live a life without sickness or sin. That is not what the call of Christ looks like. And Oh, do I wish that it was. As your pastor, I would love to stand up here and just say, come to Jesus in your life right now, like today, is going to be awesome. You're not going to be sick anymore. You're not going to get fired anymore. Your kids are not going to be crazy anymore, right? I wish, but that's not the gospel. That's not the call of the gospel. We live in a fallen world. One day that will be our reality, by the way. 
And that's what I mean, that already and not yet, but it's not yet. And so what do we do? We've talked about what Christian joy is, and I think that we're all on the same page with that. Here's the thing that I think we struggle with. Here's the thing, I don't wanna say we, I'll just own this one. As I prepare this week, here's the thing I struggled with. What does Christian joy look like in a fallen world? What is Christian joy in a fallen world? What is Christian joy when the world is not peachy, when it's difficult, when I'm struggling, when there's life happening? What does Christian joy look like? There is no greater example than that of Jesus Christ. And I want to finish our time looking at one more passage. Um, and if you would, would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrew, Hebrews? Uh, Hebrews, and we're going to be in chapter 12. As you're getting there, I am sure that many of you, as we've been talking about joy and as we've been thinking about joy, I'm sure that at least some of you have had some other scriptures come to your mind. Like uh, James 1, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, because you know it's going to produce, it's going to test you and produce um, steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its completeness, and that you may be perfect, lacking in nothing, right? Uh, maybe some of you thought of First Peter, where Peter says, in this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you will be grieved by various trials, again, for the testing of your faith, um, that it might result in the praise and the glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with what? With a joy that's inexpressible. Which, by the way, that's funny because we've been talking about what joy is and Peter just told us you can't express it, right? There's some humor in there for a preacher. Um, and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of of souls. Um, we think about these kind of passages where, where we're called to have joy in the midst of trial, joy in the midst of struggle and grief and persecution and trials. And, and, and we look at this, we, we, we have to ask, how? What does Christian joy look like? How is it possible? I mean, is it naive? Is it intellectually dishonest? Is, is, what is Christian joy? for a Christian who experiences grief? What is Christian joy when a Christian experiences hardships? What is it? Here's a really serious question. If Christian joy is produced in us by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we experience grief and a lack of joy, does that mean it's an absence of the Spirit? What is Christian joy joy in a fallen world. There's no better place to look at this, in my opinion, than Hebrews 12. Listen to this. As, as the writer of Hebrews is talking about our life, the life we live in the advent, the life we live in the here and now, the life we live in Christ in a fallen world, listen to what, what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And now listen, church. Verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder 
and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, who for the what? Who for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him, you have to say it multiple times because it's hard to believe, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let me ask you, did our Savior, did he just really enjoy torture? Did he just really enjoy crucifixion? Was this a moment of happiness and joy for Jesus as he bore the cross? Well, no. And yes. No, in the sense that this was a moment of inexpressible sorrow and pain. No, in the sense that just moments earlier, Jesus is literally praying and sweating Drops of blood. Drops of blood as he bears the weight of what is about to happen, as that weight just pushes on him. That was not a moment of immense happiness and skipping. That was a moment of intense sorrow and agony and Yet, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. How could that be? How can suffering, trials, how can sweating drops of blood, how can enduring the mocking, the shaming, how can that be joy? Church, It was because for the joy of knowing the sovereign plan. It was for the joy of knowing that his suffering, his suffering would result in the salvation of many. It was for the joy of knowing that his suffering would not win and that it would result in the glory of the Father and the good of creation. Because Jesus knew who he was, because Jesus knew his purpose, it was all for the joy that was set before him. Let me say it another way. Because he loves you, because he cares for you, and because he knew what his sacrifice was going to accomplish for you, his cross, though difficult, though painful, was joy that was set before him. Joy that was set before him. Now, considering this, we now get to run our race with endurance. We now bear our burdens with endurance. We now bear the weight of living in this fallen world with endurance, but not only with endurance, church, but with joy. The joy of the already and not yet. The joy of the already in that we, we know we're loved, we know we're called, we know, we know we're saved, forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, and dwelled by God himself. We know that the Spirit is continually opening our eyes to Jesus and the object of joy. We stand on that while also 
hoping for the joy that is yet to come. Knowing that all the suffering that we go through, all the trials that you bear, all of the burdens that we shoulder as a result of living in this fallen world, we know that they do not catch our God off guard. We know that, that he is sovereign and we know that all things are being used by him for our good and for his glory, producing in us a greater trust, perseverance, and character. Count it all joy when you go through various trials, knowing that through it we are being made more into the image of Christ. Church, this gives us the ability then, to walk with joy, Christian joy, a joy that is here and a joy that will come. So don't worry. Be happy. Amen? I can't end a sermon with that, so I, I don't think it's legal. Um, instead, I want to end with the fourth verse of our hymn. Listen to this. Ever singing... March we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward in the triumph song of life. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that so often we struggle to grab hold of joy in this fallen world. We, we, we confess that this is, this is difficult for us, and we know, I know that we're here today, we're in this room as broken people, in need of you, reliant on you. But God, we know that true joy, our joy, is found in Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might become sons and daughters of God, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be redeemed. And because that is true, no matter what we're going through right now in this room, We can fix our eyes on you and experience true and eternal and everlasting joy. Lord, we, uh, we ask, Spirit, would you do the work you promised to do? I pray for all of us in this room, whether we have been walking with Jesus for years, whether we are new to this whole Christian thing, whether we're here and we don't know what we believe, whoever, wherever we are in this room right now. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, you would produce in us joy. And we know that the way that you do that is you open our eyes to your son. So right now in this moment, spirit, would you do a work on us would you open our eyes to the beauty and the goodness of Jesus Christ, what he has done, what he has accomplished. 
Lord, we know the question for us is not what would Jesus do, it is what has Jesus done? And would you allow us now in this moment to just stand on that like a groom seeing his bride come down the aisle and joy fills his heart? Would you allow us to see you and would you allow that joy to fill our hearts? God, thank you. Thank you that we get to be your people through your son. And we thank you for the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.